0: Welcome to Tech You Should Know with Kim Commando. I'm Mike James. It's the big 4th of July weekend and Independence Day. So we've put together some recent calls from inspiring folks who have struck out on their own to achieve their own financial independence. One guy actually went from, well, spending time in jail to cleaning up his act and now makes over $600,000 a year. Uh, Another guy who, would you believe he was a mechanic who specialized in DeLorean cars and went on to buy the company after they went bankrupt. And as a matter of fact, he's going to be trying to manufacture new DeLorean cars. We're going to talk to him, the baker who, with the outbreak of COVID-19, transformed his bakery into a thriving online business You're going to love his story. So get ready to be inspired. Those and much more stories coming up on Tech You Should Know with Kim Commando today. And a quick reminder here, this is not the Kim Commando Show. Every week, Kim gives you the very latest tech news, tips, DIYs, and we take your questions on the Kim Commando Show. Uh, For that podcast, just go to GetKim.com. And right now, you get a free 30-day trial. Again, that's GetKim.com. Use promo code Kim. Get your free 30 day trial. All right, we're going to get started with a guy that was one time in jail and now making 600K a year as a hacker. (laughs) Coming up on Tech You Should Know with Kim Commando.
1: When someone says the word hacker, what comes to mind? Someone hunched over a keyboard, right? Wearing a hoodie, trying to break into a corporation's network or some secret government system. And joining us is a real honest-to-goodness hacker. He was only 19 when he was first arrested back in 2002, and some 30 FBI agents came knocking at his front door. In 2005, he was convicted of breaking into U.S. government and military computers and sentenced to two and a half years in prison. He was involved with The World of Hell, a hacking group that scoured the web for websites with poor internet security. And joining me today on The Kim Commando Show is hacker Tommy DeVos. And thanks for being on the show, Tommy. Let me ask you a question. What was the biggest thing you ever hacked?
2: I guess it would be different uh, government agencies. Uh, The Jet Propulsion Laboratories at NASA, uh, the U.S. Court Systems, uh, various state government websites. I had a goal back in 2001 to break into at least one website for every state in the U.S., Broke into corporations like Microsoft, Hotmail, MSN, IBM, uh, P-Pfizer, the pharmaceutical company, Rolex, tons of them.
1: (laughs) So now now do you do this for money? Is it for, at that time, was it for money? Was it for personal achievement or?
2: Um, Back then it wasn't for money. Um, I was never out for financial gain or to steal people's information or anything like that. I did it simply because they said I couldn't do it. Um, they, In my eyes, the companies that were Fortune 500 companies or the U.S. government had such large budgets. They should have had com- uh, secure computer systems, especially being the type of information that could potentially be stored on them. And we like to prove that that wasn't the case. It was actually easier to hack into military and government computers at times than it was to a person down the street from you. On their personal computer
1: so what kind of stuff did you see
2: not nothing really crazy uh when we were going in the nasa computers our goal was always trying to find evidence of aliens but <laughs> sadly i never got to find any
1: <laughs> you were sent to prison for how many years
2: i did 27 months the first time and then when i came home i had, i was banned from computers for a while and i violated my first probation in 2007 because i had a computer in my house so they sent me back to prison for another year and then I violated again in October of 2009 for having a computer in my house and they sent me back for 14 months
1: oh man okay and now I see one around your shoulder so I guess it's okay now
2: yes man they released the uh they released my ban from computers on November 3rd 2010 and since then I've legally been allowed to use computers again Prior to that, I wasn't allowed to use computers, cell phones, gaming systems, uh, basically anything that could communicate with people over a network. So
1: the average person sitting at home, how vulnerable are they?
2: It all depends on how they use the internet and everything. I mean, the general people don't really have a whole lot to worry about because it's not like you're going to be specifically targeted because of who you are uh, for the average person. Now, you will... Be vulnerable to people attempting to send you phishing emails and stuff like that to try to compromise your banking information so that they can then try and steal your identity to open up credit in your name to get the money or empty your bank accounts or something like that. Um, Different organizations like Target getting hacked during the Black Friday a couple years ago. You're going to be a target to things like that, but they're not targeting you directly. They're looking to target as many people as they can when it comes to major retailers and stuff like that getting hacked you should always remember that everybody in the world knows how important black friday is and how much money gets spent for christmas shopping and everything like that and if you're planning to do christmas shopping and stuff i like to tell people to go and get cash out of a bank go and buy a prepaid credit card so that way if you're going to use it for the cyber monday deals online or even in the big retail stores that you've got that card and the only purpose it's serving is to go through and buy your Christmas presents. And once you spent what you were going to spend, you don't need the card anymore. You can get rid of it. So that way, if it gets compromised from that merchant, they're not going to get anything from you because it's not tied to any real account.
1: Yeah, that's actually good advice, but another benefit is it keeps you on budget. (laughs) So (laughs) (laughs) so now you have a white hat on, right? You're a white hat hacker. Uh, And, (laughs) And I understand that you're making over half a million dollars a year. Tell us more about that.
2: That's actually on the low side, I think. Um, My goal for 2019 was to hit a million dollars just on the HackerOne platform alone. And I think at this point, I've still got a shot to hit it. I think I'm about 200 to $250,000 short. Tell us about Uh,
1: the event. What happens?
2: Um, For this particular event, HackerOne likes to do what they call live hacking events, and it's uh, generally they do about one a month in a different city around the world where they'll invite anywhere from 30 hackers up to 100 or so, and they'll fly them to a location, put us in hotel rooms. Then the next day, we'll actually go to wherever the venue is, and they'll introduce us to one of their clients that wants us to hack them that day. We'll spend about... Uh, seven to eight hours of actually hacking them. Then they'll close down where we can't submit reports anymore and they'll go through the reports that had been submitted. They'll pick uh, winners of various different bugs. I mean, not bugs, but uh, various different awards that they'll give out. Like um, the top award that you can get at any of these events is the MBH, the Most Valuable Hacker. And uh, you get a really cool belt that looks like a WWE championship belt if you win this. Um, And then we'll have a little party afterwards and then relax the next day and go home.
1: So the most valuable hacker, he he or she probably had to find something pretty major, right?
2: Most of the time. Yes. Um, they don't generally base it on how many bugs you found or how much money you made. It's kind of like a, uh, Uh, a total of how impactful your bugs were, meaning how serious they were, and then um, how helpful you might have been working with other people while you were there and stuff like that. So it's kind of like a uh, an award to combine both your attitude and the help helpfulness you are with others, as well as your findings for that particular event.
1: What does your family think of your profession now that you're, you know, on the white hat side?
2: They love it now just because um, the transformation from 20 years ago when I started hacking and having my door kicked in by the FBI and various agencies like several times, I think it was four or five times in total over about a 12-year period, to now being paid for something that I've always loved to do and doing pretty well at it. Uh, They tell me a lot that they're proud of me and they are just amazed by the transformation and everything like that. And well, I have a three year old daughter now and I think she would get really mad at me if I did anything that would even has the chance of taking me away from her forever. So I use her for a lot of my motivation to make sure that I don't ever do anything that stupid again. I went from being, in my opinion, the most important person in the world to now she's the most important person in the world.
1: Well, Tommy, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And I'm so pleased that you could turn your life around and then use your hacking powers for good.
0: Hey, don't forget, if you've got a question about something digital, you can get Kim's Unbiased Advice and it's advice that you can trust. America's Digital Pro, Kim Commando, and our nationally syndicated radio show. You just go to Commander.com and in the upper right-hand corner, click on the Be A Caller button. We're going to ask you your name and for a couple of details about your question. It will set up a time where you can be on the show, ask your question on the show. It is fun. You can call your friends and let them know that you're going to be on the show. And that's, again, the Be A Caller button in the upper right at Commando.com. Hey, just ahead on Tech, you should know, Stefan Wynn, He's the guy who was a specialist mechanic for DeLorean cars and eventually went on to buy the company. And actually, he's planning on manufacturing DeLoreans soon. We'll hear his story in just a bit. And later on, how to make money on Amazon Turk. What is Amazon Turk? And what about our flea market flippers? We're going to hear from them and their passion to turn stuff. You can find on a lot of sites into cold, hard cash.
1: The Back to the Future movie trilogy helped establish the DMC DeLorean as an 80s icon. And our next guest is one of the only people in the country who still repairs and maintains DeLoreans. And now he wants to bring the icon back and into the future. And joining me now is Stephen Wynn, CEO of the DeLorean Motor Company. Stephen, thanks for joining us. And boy, what, is that your factory behind you?
3: Uh, This is actually just our workshop where we do the service and restorations. We have a whole other part of the facility that will actually set up for the assembly line.
1: And so how did you get involved in the DeLoreans?
3: Uh, I'm an English car mechanic that specializes in uh, English and French cars. And DeLorean is essentially an English and French car. So when I came to America, it seemed like the logical path to follow.
1: But then, so you started repairing them and now you own the company?
3: Yes, uh, started repairing them, um, you know, in the eighties, right after the company went out of business, and um, had the opportunity along the way to buy all of the remaining inventory after the after the original DeLorean went bankrupt. Um, and then once we had all that inventory, it was oh, okay. Now, what are we going to do with all that stuff? So, as well as service and repairing the cars, then we started looking um, at, at at starting to make the cars, but. Um, Unfortunately, you can't just go making an old car, yet they have to confirm to the regulations, and uh, a 1980s car doesn't confirm to the current regulations. So we were able to get together with SEMA and a bunch of the other uh, people who work with replica cars, and um, we got the law changed, or or got uh, President Obama to sign it in, in December of 2015, that allowed for replicas to be made. Um, and, And at that time, NHTSA, was given 12 months to come up with the final guidelines. And and unfortunately, here we are five years down the road, and we're still waiting for those final right. guidelines.
1: And, and so how many DeLoreans were made in the 80s?
3: Uh, originally, there was about 9,200 cars made.
1: Can I buy a new DeLorean from you?
3: You can't at present, no, uh, until we go into production, which again, we're, we're waiting for those final guidelines, which we're hoping to receive by the end of this year. Then once that happens, then we'll, we'll, we'll start again with the engineering process of what it's going to take to, to put the car together. And all things being equal, about this time next year will, will probably about be about the best-case scenario for us to start being able to deliver new cars.
1: So let's say I wanted to make a pre-order on a brand-new DeLorean. What would that car look like?
3: It's going to look exactly like the original car. You know, the, the, the replica program says that it has to be uh, to match the original, which we really don't want to mess with the original car because it's such an iconic design. Uh, and that and that's what our brand is all about for now.
1: So what were some quirky things about the DeLorean? I mean, aside from the gull-wing doors.
3: Well, well, you know, the obvious one is the gull-wing doors, but but also the fact that it has stainless steel body panels that were not painted. Um, and the way the car is also constructed, it has a, a chassis, a fiberglass underbody and then the stainless skins attached to it. So, so that that makes it kind of unique to what you see around today. Because most cars today are a unibody construction, where the body and chassis are all as one.
1: Does that make the car heavy? How much does the car weigh?
3: No, it, no they weigh about twenty eight hundred pounds, which by today's standards is actually quite light. That's and and what you asked there is a very common perception that people have. They think that you know that it's you know it's one hundred percent stainless, so it's going to be super heavy. But because it's got a fiberglass underbody, that actually helps reduce the weight.
1: And so what about the cassette player?
3: Yes, yes, yes. So the original specification was an AM FM cassette with four speakers. Unfortunately, that's not going to make it with the next go around.
1: You're going to have to have like Android (laughs) play or Apple CarPlay, right? Uh
3: uh, oh, yeah. Obviously, our customer base our, our, our customer base is, is, is very uh, tech-savvy, so we would have to be up-to-date with all of the current trends as far as in-car entertainment and, and features inside the car, for sure.
1: So when you're driving around Houston in a DeLorean, do you get a lot of looks?
3: Oh, you cannot believe it. It's insane. And it's been this way for, you know, I've been driving DeLoreans now for 38 years. And it's, uh, it's, it, 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 I'd say the car is more recognizable today than what it was when it was new.
1: So when we look at the iconic version of the DeLorean, what can you add to it as a replica?
3: Exterior-wise, we're pretty well locked in. Um, it, it'll have some things like the wheels will be larger because we need to put bigger brakes on the car, and that's going to be a mechanical improvement. But, but the outside of the car, I'm very, very happy with it. And, and, and it's so instantly, iconically recognizable that um, I don't really want to change it. Plus the fact that, um, you know, I'm sitting on the, all of this inventory of body panels that we have to make the car. So it, at this stage, it doesn't pay to tool up to make a different car when we have this inventory that we can use for the, for the assembly.
1: Well, you know, I think it was in 2019, I was at the Barrett Jackson car auction in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I saw a DeLorean go over the block. Uh, two owners, I think it had 5,700 miles and it sold for roughly $38,000 US dollars. How does that compare yep. to, say, a year from now when you're going to be selling a DeLorean?
3: Probably that car that you've seen a couple of years ago today is is probably a fifty to sixty thousand dollar car. Wow! And and you know, De- De- DeLoreans are just going up in value, which is great. You know, it's it's really it, it really helps the brand. Um, but but with the new car, we haven't quite finished the bill of materials, so we don't really have an idea of what it's going to be. But it's going to be you know probably in the mid to low 150s just just because that's what it takes to put a car together these days.
1: Now, one last question. Will it have any flux capacitors?
3: No, 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 no. We'll leave all the movie prop stuff for the movies and and we'll keep this as the real deal.
1: (laughs) That's good. Hey, Stephen, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure having you here on the Kim Commando Show. You know, we're looking forward to taking our own time machine for a spin when production is finally finished. One of the great things about the Internet is that it is an equalizer in so many ways. Like, for example, think about iTunes. If iTunes was not developed or Google Play, we wouldn't have all these people that are making millions of dollars with all these various apps out there. And at last count, I heard there were over 1.3 million apps in the Apple App Store Okay, now think about smart speakers. You have Google Home, and you have Amazon's Alexa. Well, of course, you have various commands that you can use with your smart speaker, but what about those skills? Who's developing those skills, and are they making money? And when I read about Nick Schwab, I thought for sure we had to have him here on the Kim Commando Show. Hi there, Nick. Welcome, and thanks for joining us. Hi, Ken. Thanks for having me. So now you are a third-party developer for the Amazon Alexa. Explain to everyone what that means.
4: So that basically means that I develop apps for Amazon Alexa uh, on my own time. Amazon doesn't really pay me to make them. I just think of apps that I want to build. I build them, and then if they're successful, I get paid.
1: And then how do you distribute the app?
4: Um, So you build it, and then you go through a certification process through Amazon. It's very similar to the iOS App Store process or the Google Play process. Um, And it goes through that. And then once Amazon approves it, it's live to the um, millions of Alexa customers worldwide.
1: Which is really amazing when you think about it. How long does that approval process take?
4: Oh, it definitely varies. Uh, I've had it take about two hours, and I've also had it take about four weeks. Wow. So it really just depends (laughs) on how much content your skill has.
1: Now, when did you start developing your skills?
4: I first began developing skills for Alexa in, I believe it was February 2016. Um, and since then, I've published over 54 skills.
1: Wow, 54 skills. So like, what is, what's the one skill that you said to yourself, this is going to be a home run. This is going to be one of the best ones ever. And then it was kind of a dud.
4: Um, I would say that was my second skill. It was called opening bell. It allowed people to look up the stock prices for any company, a publicly traded company in the US, using the spoken company name. So traditionally, when you look up stock prices, you use a ticker symbol. But when you're using voice, um the more natural way is to just speak the full company name. So I made a skill that did that, gave you the stock price. Uh then of course a few months later, Amazon made it a native feature, which is one (laughs) of those things where I you would have thought it would have been a native native feature already. Um to so begin was, with, right. I was right. happy to see them bring it in.
1: Let's take it to the other extreme. What's your most successful skill for Alexa?
4: My most successful is thunderstorm sounds. It gets about 100,000 people every day.
1: Wow, you're kidding. A yeah, 100,000 100, people every single day? And what exactly does it do?
4: It just plays the sound of a thunderstorm. Uh, it's a one-hour track, and you can loop it, so it'll play nonstop until you say stop.
1: And did you record the thunderstorm?
4: That one in particular, no, Uh, but I do record some of my own sounds.
1: And so how many developers are now doing Alexa skills?
4: I don't think there's an official number, but I would say it's definitely the tens of thousands for sure.
1: Is there a particular secret to building a successful skill, do you think, that you could pass along?
4: Yeah, I think to build a successful skill, um, you really just need to keep the experience simple. Um, make sure you have high quality content and that people can access it in a very quick way. Um, it's it's definitely a different train of thought than developing an app for a smartphone where you kind of want it to be pretty. Whereas with voice, it's just it's more uh, utilitary. Just get the user the content they want as quickly as possible.
1: So now with all these 54 different Alexa skills, have you been able to, say, retire?
4: <laughs> maybe not retire, but it's, uh, it's definitely been a bit of financial help. I've been able to do some fun things.
1: So like, name one thing that you've been able to do because of these, the skills getting out there. Uh, I was able
4: to buy my dream car, uh, a Tesla Model 3 in red, of course.
1: Awesome. That's amazing. So what do you think the next wave will be for smart speakers?
4: Oh, boy. Um, You know, I think we're still in the early days of smart speakers, and we still haven't seen kind of like the angry birds of smart speakers. Um, So I think we're going to see more developers, especially larger businesses, start to develop for these platforms and build some really, really great skills, whether it's games, whether they're uh, utility apps that really take voice to the next level and really entice people to bring these speakers into their homes, into their workplaces, maybe into even their cars.
1: Now, I probably should have asked you this sooner, but do you have a programming background?
4: I do, yeah, I'm a software engineer by heart. I do primarily web web development. So um, building Alexa skills kind of came naturally to me.
1: Well, I will tell you that I'm sure you've seen the blueprint page, right? For Alexa. And, And folks, if you haven't seen that, that's really amazing. That's where you can create your own Amazon Alexa skills. It's not quite as sophisticated as the stuff that you're doing, Nick. And thank you for joining us because developing uh, skills now for the, your smart speakers, I really think it's a, its going to be an up-and-coming profession. That if you have any type of coding background, any type of uh, background in engineering, it's really something that you ought to take a look at. We've got links to that and a whole bunch more Alexa skills and commands as well as Nick's skills that you can check out for free over on our website. The official homepage of the Kim Commando Show is, of course, commando.com.
0: If you love the digital lifestyle and love keeping up with all the breaking tech news and security alerts and data breaches so you can tell your friends and family kind of what's going on and what to watch out for, we've got you covered with the Commando newsletters. They keep you right up to date, and you can get yours at commando.com, which is K-O-M-A-N-D-O, and on the top, click on the Get the Newsletter button. And it's a double opt-in, so we'll send you an email to make sure that you want the newsletters, and then you got them. We've got also specialty newsletters about Apple and Android, many, many others, including The Current, which is just what it says. It keeps you up to date on what's going on, and there is no advertising in The Current. It is read it just as you get it. Try it out and see if you like it. We believe you will. It's at commando.com, K-O-M-A-N-D-O, and thank you. Up next on Tech You Should Know with Kim Commando, we're going to hear from a guy in L.A. that has his own bakery. And after the COVID thing broke out, he actually went to all online business and he's actually thriving online. And then we're going to hear from the flea market flippers who turn ordinary things that you can buy at garage sales and estate sales and online at Craigslist, whatever. They turn those into cold, hard cash. We'll hear how they do it coming up on Commando Tech You Should Know.
1: Uh, in the age of COVID-19, you know, making bread, I read, is a 14,000-year-old craft. And uh, Google Trends has said that during this pandemic, vaccine and unemployment, yes, right up there at the top of the Google Trends. But the number of people who are searching bread hit an all-time high, okay? And if you think about it, why is that? Well, you know, it takes a lot of time and effort and energy, and you got to sit there to make the bread. And so, you know, now that you're home, you got a way to do all that. Well, Aaron Cadell was forced to close both his San Francisco and LA locations. He has this really popular bakery called Mr. Holmes Bakehouse. And in a span of 72 hours, Okay. All 60 of his wholesale customers, this is a small business, all 60 of his wholesale customers, an estimated $3 million worth of business. Poof. God. But what I love about Aaron's story that I read is that Aaron is smart. He's like, okay, so what else can I do with my business? So he pivoted his business. He moved very quickly and now he's aiming to make a hundred thousand dollars a day. Hi there, Aaron. Thanks for joining us.
5: Hey, Kim. How are you?
1: Good. So, tell us how you changed your business.
5: Yeah, it's uh, I don't know, it's all happened so quick. I don't know if it's been a year or if it's been only a month, but uh, it we... feels
1: like a year, doesn't it?
5: Yeah. Uh, you know, initially, I think we were we were uh, for sure knowing that the wholesale aspect would go um, quickly just as coffee shops started, uh, you know, closing up shop after shelter in place went into effect. And quickly thereafter, we pulled the plug on our own retail spaces. Um, and, uh, you know, like we have a bunch of workers here, like including single moms and uh you know other individuals who are counting on this for a day-to-day paycheck and you know a stipend to uh cover their bills or even just um you know uh you know deferring their rent like it doesn't so uh, still doesn't necessarily meet all of their needs we we have single moms who are just begging us for hours right as, as we're as we're kind of going into this situation so we kind of get in front of the whiteboard as all this stuff's happening like how do we short the market? How do we have like an insurance policy against the economy? And, um, you know, I think what we, uh, as we looked into our own tool chest, we're like, we should be able to give people the ability to make bread at home. Um, And so really that's what we did. We popped up an e-commerce site. You know, we've never been in e-commerce before. So we're like learning on the fly. Um, We popped that up uh, within, you know, I think we, We put it up in a single day, uh, and then just uh, sales blew through the roof. You know, we shipped out our kits to 47 states within the first 10 days, which was incredible. Um, So so what's what's
1: inside the kit?
5: so we have we have a few different kits but the definitely the most exciting i mean the one that has just gotten the most attention has been our bread starter kit um and so that has everything you need to make your first loaf as well as like you know all the instructions to maintain your starter and so you know most people i don't think are super accustomed to i guess uh, acquainted with the idea of a bread starter but it's a regenerative uh you know um Organism, well, I guess a, 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 a fungus, right? Um, right? There's fungal fermentation and bacterial fermentation. So with bread, that what you were talking about the past 14,000 years of people doing bread is uh, you have a regenerative starter, which means that you just need to feed it. It's kind of like a dog, right, or an animal pet <laughs> you'll have. And you just keep feeding it with uh, with flour and giving it some water, and um, it will last you the rest of your life, generations, right? You can make uh, thousands or millions of loaves of bread off of that one starter. Uh, and so what that does, I think, going back to COVID-19, it addresses a couple of things. Like one is, you know, people kind of hit survival mode pretty quickly, yeah. right? Yes. Um, they just gotten, they went to stores and they didn't see bread on the shelves. And, uh, and so this kind of hit that first one where people were able to make bread at home without the need for perishable goods. Um, and uh, so that's something there, but, you know, as you're also pointing to, that folks are just home, you know, and that's <laughs> probably the, brutal reality is like, uh, we're We're not going anywhere.
1: It's like, Hey, what are you going to do this weekend? I'm, I'm going to go home. I'm going to be home. (laughs) You know? So, um, you know, absolutely. Tell me about some of the the challenge that you had with setting up the e-commerce part of all this.
5: Oh man. Um, well, I'll put a positive spin on it uh we we've had i'm sure every one of the problems first of all you know <laughs> as far as like you know a uh, shipment a shipment gets picked up of 200 boxes and then it just doesn't go into the system on the back end for the shipping service and so uh. we are filing insurance claims and getting those kits out to people as soon as possible and i'm sure a lot of it's just like the these uh these companies are just overloaded right yeah, now like Black Friday every day yeah um but uh the other piece is you know dealing with customer service you know um when we kind of have uh, i mean folks who have never done bread before they naturally have a number of questions and so we've been trying to put everything in video form for them and have FAQs on our site uh, but uh, the cool thing about that is like oh my gosh we every time we have a problem we learn that there's a new technology for it and we've been <laughs> implementing those like gorgeous that triggers certain keywords and has uh, a templatized response that enables us to go through there because we have, uh, you know, thousands of emails coming through with folks that just want to know, like, how do I take this to the next level and whatever else. Um,
1: so <laughs> so how like, many orders, been. how many orders are you processing a day?
5: Um, that is, that's a tricky question. And probably the most frustrating part so far about getting into e-commerce is, you know, we will have a, uh, over the weekend, like a $20,000 day, and then the next day will be a $6,000 day, uh, and so we don't, uh, it's hard to plan around that, right? Like, do do we, you know, uh, it's, it's been great that we've been able to keep so much of our staff here, but as we've brought people back on, uh, you know, as demand kind of fluctuates, um, you know, to maintain our revenue numbers as where they were before uh, with this new platform, like, It's just, you know, it's it's difficult to drive that consistency. And so hopefully we we do that through getting on shows like this, right? Or we can, as a small business, just, uh, you know, keep driving the word and, you know, homogenize some of those sales.
1: Which is amazing, Aaron. That's, and after I read your story, I was like, you know what, here's a guy who has figured it out. I mean, you've got it going on and I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy that you've done all this. As U.S. unemployment claims soar over 40 million, a lot of people are struggling And just trying to make ends meet. But at the same time, it's amazing. Online shopping and services like Instacart, they're just surging because, let's just face it, people are still afraid to go out to the stores because of COVID-19. And you also have a lot of people like me who've had a lot of time on their hands. I've cleaned out a lot of closets, and I'm finding things that I just don't need anymore. And I've actually started selling them online. So when I ran across a story about a Florida couple who flip for a living, I knew that you'd want to know more about how they do this because they're earning a six-figure income. Rob and Melissa Stevenson are the brains and muscle behind the popular blog and website Flea Market Flipper. And they're joining us here on this podcast to tell us exactly how it happens, the secrets behind it, and also how you can get involved too. So Rob and Melissa, thanks so much for joining us. Um let me ask you the f- the first question is what's the strangest thing that you've ever flipped?
5: Yeah that's
6: a great question. Yeah, um thanks for having us Kim for sure. Um the strangest thing we have ever flipped is probably a prosthetic leg um that we actually picked up at our local flea market and then we uh we brought it home, we sold it on eBay within a couple hours. Um we paid $35 for it at the flea market and then we sold it for $1000 on eBay.
1: You know, that's a great profit, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I thought they had to be like custom fitted.
6: Yeah, this one was actually the the knee joint is what it was. Um, so it was, they have custom fits that actually fit up over the leg itself, but this was the prosthetic knee joint portion of it, um, and it was titanium. So if they make them to where you can interchange fittings from the top and down by the foot, so you can change that stuff out for different things. So when I say the leg, um, it's not just like a, a prosthetic leg like that you would see somebody. It was a, a physical knee joint, and it was actually electric. Um, you could plug it in. Yeah, you could plug it in. You could ch- uh, charge it and do different things. I didn't have any of the components with it. All I had was the actual uh, knee joint. That was what was was um, um, that that was what I purchased at the flea market.
1: It's so so. Do you guys go like to flea markets every weekend? I mean, how are you finding stuff now?
6: Yeah, we absolutely love the flea market. That's, uh, that Well, I do, um, I'm there more than Melissa, but yeah, um, that is where I started with the flea market. Um, now there's so many apps out there, reselling apps that you can find great deals. Um, and then contacts that I've made throughout the last probably four or five years. Um, when we started taking this as a full-time profession, um, yeah, I started making some good contacts and those, the guys that I have actually uh, email me stuff during the week, um, and then I can buy stuff from them. So there's all different places that you're able to find awesome things to flip.
1: All right, so let's talk about the nitty-gritty. Okay, so you have these websites, OfferUp, LetGo, Facebook Marketplace, of course, eBay and Craigslist. Um, do you actually find good things to flip on those websites?
6: Yes, we all the time. I mean, you even if you – only concentrated on one of those uh, uh, websites, um, you can find amazing stuff on any of those venues. Um, the, the two that I use the most are OfferUp and Facebook Marketplace, um, but you just kind of have, have to think of it as people who don't want to give away the items a lot of times or if an item is not, um, they don't use it anymore or if it doesn't work. So I'll buy some stuff at an amazing deal if it needs something small, um, and then I'll try and figure out how to fix it. Uh, myself. um, That's usually when you can find the best deals, but uh, you also can just find uh, amazing deals of people that are moving and have to get rid of stuff, kind of like moving sales, but now they do them online apps because you can list and sell stuff anytime. It doesn't have to be limited to a weekend. Um, A couple months ago, I went and got a a soft serve ice cream machine um, from a lady who purchased it. It was three phase instead of a single phase unit, and she couldn't get it in She couldn't get the electric to her ice cream shop. So she was giving the machine away. There's absolutely nothing wrong, nothing wrong with it. So I went up there and I picked it up, and it is like a $20,000 machine. I'm sure she didn't pay that for it because she bought it secondhand, but I got it for free and I have it listed. I haven't sold that one yet because that's a specialty one. Um, but I have it listed for $10,000 right now. And I didn't pay anything for it. It was on OfferUp or Facebook. I don't remember. It was OfferUp or Facebook Marketplace just for a free listing that if you watch and you're on top of that stuff, you can get some awesome things for even free. So I read
1: a story about the mattress. You went to go pick up a mattress and then that turned into a whole nother side business. Tell us that story.
6: <laughs> yeah, I, I found a sleep number mattress. Um, it was on Craigslist. Um, I've done sleep number mattresses before because... You can break the mattress all the way down into, I think it's like 10 or 15 different pieces. It's got the, uh, the blow up um, insert inside of it. It's got all the foam and then just the covers, the top cover, the bottom cover. So, excuse me, I've done them in the past and I found this one on Craigslist. So I went to look at it. It was at a hotel is where I found it. Uh, well, when I went to get there, when I went to the address, it was a hotel. The, the gentleman who was selling it, took me into a room and there were 10 of the mattresses, 10 of these sleep number mattresses in this hotel. So he told me pick whichever one I wanted. It was, I believe they were like $200. He's either $175 or $200. Um, so I picked out the best one I could, the least amount of stains on it. I knew that I could wash it, get it cleaned, um, get it sterilized, all that stuff before we sold it. Um, I purchased that mattress. I was on my way home and I ended up calling the guy back asking him how much he would take if I took all the mattresses. Um, and he called, I mean, he said he had to go count and see how many he had. I figured he only had 10 cause they were in this room. He had a whole like storage full of these mattresses. It was 60 mattresses total. And he told me he would sell me all of them. And if I took all of them, king size mattresses, he would sell them all to me for $60 a piece. So 3,600 bucks for all 60. Um, and I ended up doing the deal. I split it up, um, into a couple of different months. Uh, he said he was cycling them out of the hotel, and he couldn't get rid of all sixty at one time. But if I made a deal with him, I think it was every month and a half I could come and pick up an, uh, another twenty of them, and then he would cycle the the hotel out. We ended up making in the beginning we sold them whole mattresses anywhere from it was five to six hundred dollars. Uh, we sold those for five to six hundred dollars after we cleaned them; they looked great. Uh, and then we ended up parting them out for probably the second. Bunch that we did, and we were making closer to a thousand or eleven hundred dollars by selling the parts versus selling them as a, a whole mattress, so altogether we made over twenty five thousand dollars on this deal with this match mattress, these mattresses that we bought
1: well i'm sh- that's phenomenal, and I'm sure like not every not every fine has been such a success. Have you had any like major losers that taught you a lesson?
6: Yes, I have uh, One that I think about was last year we bought a inflatable boat from one of my contacts, from one of my flea market contacts, this was brand new in the package. Uh, I think it weighed about 100 pounds. It was an inflatable dinghy uh, that you pull out of a, a package. You blow it up. You put a little motor on the back of it for um, for like in the, in the ocean or for in the lakes, whatever. It was brand new, still in the package, never opened up. I bought it uh, pretty much sight unseen. I didn't want to pull it out and do anything with it. I bought it. Uh, when I got it back to the house and started pulling it out and take pictures of it, some of the seams in the inflatable boat, it's a rubber boat, had come unglued, uh, and I was pretty much screwed. I just spent, I think I paid, a, do you remember what it was? 180 $180 is what I spent on it because uh, I did the comps on it, so I looked, checked it before I bought it. Uh, they were they were worth, like, retail on them was, like, over $2,500. So I was thinking this was going to be a home run. Then when I got into the house to take pictures, the the uh, seams were coming un, unglued, and I didn't know how to fix that. So I ended up having to sell it, and I broke even on that. I think I ended up selling it for 180 or $200, but I sold it as is to somebody who knew how to repair it. So, And that's happened a number of times where not everything is a home run. It just kind of uh, tells you in the future, told me in the future, I need to take a little bit more time when I'm buying something instead of only doing the research of where the retail is, what the comps are for it. Uh, do a little bit more research on, I mean, just checking the item over to make sure it's in really good condition or it's in the condition that you're assuming it is before you actually buy it. You
1: know, that's all great advice. Now, with everybody home because of the pandemic, has it changed your business? Have you had to pivot any?
7: our business actually has uh grown during the pandemic cuz more people were at home shopping online so we actually had um higher sales during the whole quarantine um even that first week like the exercise uh equipment was hot for sure it still is but like there's a, a lot of stuff people were just shopping from home um and as far as sourcing, I mean, we already have a whole bunch of inventory, so we just were listing it. But um, he was, you were still going out, and, yeah. or he was still going out and finding stuff, but being safe about it and just, like, on uh, OfferUp and Facebook Marketplace because all the other places were closed.
6: Yeah, um, it, but, did, it did affect our sourcing at the flea markets, yeah. our flea markets, thrift stores, all that stuff closed down. But the cool thing about it is people were still trying to liquidate stuff that they had yeah. to create cash. So there were still deals out there that were on all the local apps. Um, then people were not scared to meet with you. I mean, you would meet up with them somewhere. Uh, they, I mean, you'd cut contact, you'd wash your hands and that kind of stuff. So we still were finding amazing deals. And I think the first, uh, it was the first four or five days after they quarantined or they they put the order in that you were not supposed to do anything. We ended up making on sales like over $8,000, 80, 80, 80, eight, eight, eight yeah, $8, somewhere around there, between $8,000 and $9,000 in sales, which was amazing. I mean, it was a huge pickup because people were at home looking on their phone on eBay, trying to find some cool stuff. Um, and yeah, it was just amazing. It was amazing that our business actually picked up during this time of crisis.
1: You know, I don't know if it's popping up in your part of the country, but in in Phoenix, it seems like every weekend they have these so-called estate sales where it really looks like they're staging a house to sell furniture or what have
6: you. Do you find anything in those places? Now, we don't do a lot of estate sales ourselves. There is an auction in Orlando that deals with um, all the remains of estate sales. They, the, I guess the estate companies, they give it to this auction house, and then they auction it off. And we found some amazing deals at that auction house. As for estate sales, I don't like we don't I do them that much, but
7: I enjoy them yeah. when we do do them because you can find some good stuff because the company coming in. They don't have any attachment to the item. They're just trying to make their money. So you're not dealing with, like, an owner who's attached to an item. Um, so the prices are typically pretty good. They're just trying
6: to get rid of everything. And especially on the last day. When they yeah. have to get rid of that stuff in the estate, they will knock down the prices, and you'll be able to either – Pick up stuff for free because they have to get rid of it if you're there the last hour of the sale, or they'll knock the prices, cut them in half, and you can even get better deals at estate sales.
1: Boy, that's a great tip right there. Um, You know, Rob and Melissa, thank you so much for giving us an inside look into the art of flipping, and congratulations on your success. You know, fascinating stuff, inspirational for everybody and uh and thank you again
6: yeah thank you can we totally appreciate having uh having the opportunity to talk to you and, and give some information to you we definitely appreciate it thank you so much
1: so what do you think are you ready to start flipping for money go ahead and take the next step now learn more about how flipping's done and what i really like is that you can get help along the way from rob and melissa so i arranged for you to get 100 dollars off their online university but in order to get the special deal you have to go to this address otherwise you'll pay more fleamarketflipper.com slash Kim. That's fleamarketflipper.com slash Kim. Hey,
0: and when you are a success, drop me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Hey, thank you so much for listening to Tech You Should Know with Kim Commando. I'm Mike James, and we'll see you next time. Don't forget to subscribe so you get these downloaded to your device every week automatically. Tell your friends about us. We appreciate it. And again, we'll see you next time on Tech You Should Know with Kim Commando.